0: Hello, church. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Shayna. As Phil said, it's my last day on staff, but it's not my last night here ever. I'll definitely be here next week to cheer on my friend and our elder Trevor while he preaches. So if I haven't had a chance to meet you, please meet me. I would love to meet you. I love people. Um, Phil was so kind, and he told me that because tonight was my last night, I could step a little bit out of the series that we're in and preach on literally whatever I wanted to. Anything in the world. And so tonight, we are going to talk about fear and anxiety because that sparks joy, right? Who doesn't want to talk about that? Um, <laughs> also, Phil is not kidding. It is really hard to see you. So if you feel like I'm not making any contact with any of you, you're right, I can't see you. Um <laughs> When you're in church, one of the most common responses that you're going to get if you are scared or you are anxious is, don't be scared. God's got you. Why are you anxious? Trust God. And what I have been learning through my own experience and just through the experience of getting to pastor people over the past six-ish years is that those responses are not actually helpful for most people. Instead, they kind of tend to add a sense of shame and blame. Like, not only are you scared or are you anxious, she agrees, she's feeling it, but also, it's your own fault that you feel that way. Because if you were just more trusting, or if you just believed the Bible better, you wouldn't be scared anymore. And one of the texts that people most often look to for this idea is Psalm 23. It is one of the most popular passages in the whole Bible. And so over the past few months, I just thought, well, let's check it out. Let's see what's going on there. Are we telling people something that's true, or are we unintentionally hurting them? And through a really disturbing amount of research and some really cool conversations with the best professor I have ever met, I have figured out that what we typically say about fear and anxiety isn't necessarily wrong, but is definitely not the full picture. And so my hope that tonight when you leave, you walk out of these doors with a fuller picture of this psalm and what it has to say to you if you are someone who is anxious or scared. And to do that, I wanted to start with what this psalm actually looks like. So, Nate, if you could go ahead and throw up some Hebrew on the screen for us. So this is Psalm 23. This is what it actually looks like. It is written in Hebrew, like a good chunk of the Bible. And some things you should know about Hebrew. It reads right to left instead of left to right, which because of this, when I was learning Hebrew, my eye doctor thought that I was dyslexic, um, because it gets really confusing. Those big lettery things that you see, those are the consonants, and the little dots are the vowels. There's usually other dots that are also like the punctuation, but I didn't know how to make those on a Mac keyboard so they're not here today. Hebrew is in a different word order, so it usually goes verb, subject, object, so like food, or ate the dog food. So it's pretty weird. A lot of it is in a different order, and there aren't many parallels. There are some, but a lot of Hebrew words don't necessarily parallel one-on-one with English words. And the reason that I'm showing you this is because when you hear different interpretations of the Bible and things saying different thing, people saying different things about it, I want you to know two things. Number one, we say different things because it is confusing and hard to go from this and a different culture to English. And number two, when people say things to you about the Bible that might be hurtful, like if you have ever been hurt by someone telling you, you wouldn't be anxious right now if you trusted God. It is not because they want to hurt you or because they are mean. It is just because this is hard work. And so as we look at a different interpretation tonight, I want us to do so with a sense of grace and kindness towards people who have come before us or people who think something different. If you disagree with me, I want you to know that I support you and I get how you got there. So we're going to go through this psalm in pairs of two there are six different verses so we're going to have three different sections tonight we're going to begin in verse 1 which is so it starts by saying a psalm of david but actually in the hebrew it is Unclear whether this says a psalm of David or a psalm for David. So that doesn't matter for our interpretation tonight, but as we go through, you'll hear me referring to the psalmist as they, because I want to keep it gender neutral just in case the person happened to be a woman. I don't want to cut that out. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. If you have grown up in the church, if you have been around the church much, these are like the classic verses where we go to imagine this beautiful sense of tranquility and peace and calmness. Still waters and a beautiful grassy field. The relaxation that God's presence is supposed to give us. And then the soul refreshment or restoration depending on how you translate that word where we're just at peace and we're happy and everything is great and that in my opinion is not at all what this section of the psalm is saying so if you have ever been around sheep something you may know is that predators like to eat them shocking I know And in Israel, the land's pretty arid and pretty dry and there isn't tons of green. And so green pastures are places that sheep and wildlife cattle would flock because they wanted grass, a.k.a. it's where all the predators would go in order to find something to eat. And sheep would only lay down after they had eaten a bunch and their naps were basically like a trance, which some of us have that after we eat a really heavy meal. It's kind of like this pass out Nap trance. And when they're in that, they're not able to hear a predator coming and just get up and run and jump away. So, green pastures, specifically lying down in green pastures, are actually an incredibly dangerous situation. And on the same note, something that some of you may know about sheep, they are not smart. They are very unintelligent animals. And the point of this psalm is not to tell us that we're dumb. Don't worry, that's not what it's saying. But one of the things about sheeps not being smart, and when I say not smart, that is gentle terminology for what sheeps are like. When water is still and flat, they are unable to realize that this water is a drowning threat. That's how bad it is. So still water is number one a threat for them because they will literally drown in it and die and number two, when they're drinking water, they also can't hear predators coming. And then finally, soul in the Hebrew language. Hebrew language loves body imagery, which is not something I knew and I think is so beautiful. The word is literally throat because it's where your air and where your food comes in. And so soul, a.k.a. throat, is the word that they use to describe like their life force. And so what the psalmist is talking about is being in incredibly dangerous, scary situations. And yet, in those situations, God meets the psalmist's basic needs and provides food and water, their life force, which for us translates to soul. Let's carry on to the next two verses. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. If you've grown up in the church, you're like, yeah, that's what it says. But if you really think about it, that doesn't make any sense. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Like, what the heck does that mean? actually mean if you had to sit down with somebody and tell them what that meant would you know what to say when I was studying this and I mean I just finished today my masters of divinity and I did not know what I would tell people so I looked into it more and actually what it says I'm going to reread it to you he guides me along paths of justice for the sake of his name God is guiding the psalmist towards justice and providing justice to the psalmist because that is who God has promised to be. His namesake is the promise that he is associated with his name throughout the Old Testament. So it's not about the psalmist doing the right thing or going on the right path. It is about the justice that God is giving the psalmist in the darkest valley, aka literally the shadow of death which is a place throughout the Old Testament, and it can quite literally refer to death, but also it is, in poetic language, a really dramatic way of referring to an emotionally distressing situation. Something that is terribly hard to go through, and even if it's not life-threatening, feels like the end of the world. And as the psalmist is walking through this darkest valley, God is guiding the psalmist, Towards paths of justice. And then the psalmist says, I will fear no evil. This one sentence is basically the whole central idea of where we get to being scared is not okay if you're a Christian. But this isn't meant to just tell us what to do. It's a poem. It is artistic, beautiful, dramatic language that is meant to speak to something deeper than the literal. I'm really scared of heights. Like really really scared of heights. I have had panic attacks. I have fainted. Both of those things have happened multiple times. And I'm not talking about just like really high. Like these kinds of things have happened on the third floor. That kind of bad. Um and one time, my friend Rachel and I who She came here tonight to cheer me on, which is so kind. We went to the top of the Eiffel Tower together. And the entire way up, which is a really long way, I just kept staring at the ground and saying to myself, I am not scared. I am not afraid. I am not scared. I am not afraid. I'm brave. I got this. Nothing is scary. And I brought a picture today from the top of the Eiffel Tower that Nate's going to put up for us. I don't know what you picture when you think no fear. That's not it for me. That's not the picture. But when I had been repeating to myself for a solid 35 minutes that I was not afraid at all, I was zero percent afraid, that is still what I looked like. (laughs) And I can't help but wonder if the psalmist is in a similar boat, where the psalmist is saying that they are not afraid, not because they aren't scared, but because that is the only declaration they have that is making them bold enough to keep going forward. If you just think about in your life, maybe some of the times that someone said, I'm not scared, was it because they weren't scared? Or was it because they were actually terrified and were just trying to give themselves the courage to keep going? I believe that when the psalmist says that they will fear no evil, they don't mean it literally, they mean it as a statement of just how scared they actually are. And then as we continue on in this verse, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This idea of comfort is the last word that I really want to spend some time on this evening. Um, When we look at the word and we think about comfort, go ahead, just think. When you think of the word comfort, What do you picture? I picture sitting in a big chair with a comfy blanket and my favorite snack watching a movie. Like that is comfort to me. Maybe for you it's like a really big soft bed. I'm imagining soft probably has to do with it because that's what we like. But this word in Hebrew is actually more about courage. A better way to translate it is the word emboldened and that changes everything because the psalmist isn't saying God is with me and so I feel comfortable in the midst of this horrible valley just like I would if I was in a big comfy chair the psalmist is saying in the midst of this terrible situation God gives me the courage to keep going And another thing about this word is it's in this specific form of Hebrew that is like repetitive or emphatic. And so we could translate it as God continually emboldens me. It is not a one-time thing where the psalmist gets to the start of this really horrible thing and God makes them feel better and boom, they feel better forever, repeatedly, throughout this shadow of death or this darkest valley or whatever you want to call it, God shows up and gives the psalmist courage. And that is the only reason that the psalmist trusts God. Not because someone stood up here on a stage and said, trust God, and then they did. But because they went through incredibly difficult circumstances with God. And through facing those fears... They found God and they learned to trust God. When I was doing this study, I got to spend a lot of time in psychology too and reading a ton about how to treat anxiety. And one of the most interesting studies that I read is that they found that exposure therapy, which is choosing to face one's anxieties, was way more effective than talk therapy for treating anxiety. And so what they're figuring out is that if someone is worried about something or having a lot of anxiety about it, the only way that they are really going to feel better is if they actually get to experience that thing and see that it's going to be okay. And God knows that. And that's what the psalmist is telling us here. We can't sit back and hide from our fears And expect them to go away, or expect to feel better, or expect that a trust of God is gonna make us not be scared anymore. The only way to learn to trust God is by facing our fears and through that journey, finding Him. Let's go to our last two verses. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." This is another one of those passages where if you actually think about it, you're like, that's weird. We were just sheep in a field, and then we were in a path, and now all of a sudden we're at a banquet. It's a little odd. But the point that the psalmist is trying to make through all this different imagery is we start over here, in these fields by this water. And we see God providing the psalmist with their basic needs in scary situations. And then we move over to this darkest valley, where everything's terrifying. And yet, God provides the psalmist with courage and with justice in the midst of whatever wrong they're encountering. And now here, we have this wildly dramatic conclusion where the psalmist is eating dinner with their enemies. And this is like, you know, back before we would just have these really political angry dinners where you would sit down with someone and just say a bunch of petty things to them. This is in the time of swords and weapons where if you're eating dinner with your enemies, you could quite literally get stabbed and die and nobody's gonna go to jail for that. So we've reached this dramatic conclusion of the utmost danger And somehow God's presence transforms it from the ultimate threat into a feast where everybody is enjoying themselves. And this like image of anointing is this really weird image of like fat being poured down the psalmist's head and their cup overflowing and just like extreme extravagance to the point of it being a little absurd because it's meant to be dramatic language. And at the conclusion of all of that, the psalmist is saying, and even more so, even more than all of these situations where God has met my basic needs, my emotional needs, where God has turned danger into feasting, I'm going to be with God forever because I trust God. And I believe that to be true. It didn't happen fast and it didn't happen through a sermon, and it definitely didn't happen through guilt-tripping or shaming. It happened over a long encounter with different dangerous situations. And there's actually another study that I wanna talk about that's really cool. So when, again, they were studying clients who were struggling with anxiety, they tried out other ways of treating them personally and individually with therapists, and then also in group therapy settings. And what they found is that multiple different types of group therapy were more effective than individual therapy. People who were struggling with anxiety healed faster and more fully when they got to work on those issues alongside other people. And this psalm, is not written just for one person. Psalms were songs that are written for the church of God to sing together. The Israelites used to go to the temple and sing these songs. They were their communal worship, like our songs are today. And God knew that. God made us to be together, not apart. And so I already talked to you about how the way to face anxiety and fear is through actually facing it and finding God there, not through using God to hide from it. And now I'm going to tell you that also we're supposed to do that together as a community, whether that's with your family, your friends, your church. It is not something that you are supposed to do alone. You have people, and they will help you. So I have a couple questions for you. What is one anxiety or fear that you have that we can partner with you in? What would that look like? Like for me, I was not going to the top of the Eiffel Tower by myself. Mm -mm. Nope. It took Rachel to make that happen for me. I'm pretty sure I held her hand. I'm not positive. You can ask her, but I have a feeling that I did. I have a tendency to hold people's hands when I get scared. Also, when someone comes to you with a fear or an anxiety, what's one way that you can respond to them so that they're encouraged forward in their journey and don't feel alone? Not so that they feel shamed or like they're not supposed to be scared. What might that look like for you? It is my deepest belief that if we show up for each other in our fears and our anxieties we are going to be amazed at the way that we find God through each other. Maybe somebody comes to you because they're anxious about food insecurity and you're actually able to feed them. Maybe somebody comes to you because they're really scared of confronting someone and you're able to go with them. I know for me, I have a situation coming up really soon where I have to go be near some people who have been incredibly unjust and unsafe to me. And I brought those fears to some people in my life and in this community. And through the way that they have shown up for me and that they have offered me tangible protection, I have found God's protection. I know that God cares for me and that God is gonna protect me because the people that he put in my life are literally doing it. And I don't think that's just a story for me. I think that's a story for all of us. And I would just so encourage you, TNL, to think about what does it look like for you to share your fears and anxieties with others and for you to be there for others in theirs. I'm gonna pray for us and then Phil's gonna come up and lead us in our generosity prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for today and for this community and for the time that I've had to grow alongside them. God, please just continue to bless this church and these people and give them comfort in the realest way during their times of anxiety and fears. God, give them that comfort that isn't just placating but is an emboldening comfort, a courage to carry forward. God, you love this church, and so do I. Amen.